Good morning, everyone. I think everybody needs to give Eli a little round of applause. That's awesome. There's nothing better than seeing people um, learn a musical instrument. Um, <laughs> but like serving for the first time in church, that's awesome. And Eli, you played really well. Thank you. Um, True story, I've got a little photo of Eli, me cuddling Eli at the Marion Christmas carols when he was like teeny tiny, so cute. Um, So this morning, we are talking about God rest ye merry gentlemen. God rest ye merry comma gentlemen. Um, Now, we're not going to sing it, but... This is one of those things where you go, God rest you merry gentlemen. <laughs> Tidings of comfort and joy. Right? Everybody knows that bit. Um, but this has had several different names throughout the year. I'm getting feedback. Is that all right? Sorry. Um, it could be me. I'm a bit puffed from the last song. Um, it's had lots of different names over the time, and the commas have been thrown in willy-nilly. I've read a lot in the last few weeks trying to work out, because sometimes I think I'm pretty smart with this stuff, turns out probably not, because I've read a lot and I still can't work out where this song came from. Um, The origins are ambiguous at best and inconclusive at worst, so this is my best guess, don't quote me, don't go off telling some random historian that Sarah's worked it out because I really haven't. But this is my best guess. Okay. Most likely, the words originate from the time about the same as the Coventry Carol. Now, we did that a few weeks ago. So that's sometime in the 16th century England. A very, very early version of the words were found on an anonymous manuscript that was associated with houses that were defiantly Catholic um, from families in Warwickshire. So this is after the Reformation, people secretly still being Catholic. Um, The first line is, Sit yo, merry gentlemen. So a little bit of hip-hop in there from the 16th century. Um, Now... This is really significant because there's actually like six different versions of the lyrics. All differ from how we sing it today. Some in Old English, some in Folk English, and of course the version that we sing, which has some interesting issues with rhyming. I'll let you look that up later. Find, mind and wind rhyme in the first verse. Part of that is the like pronunciation from early English language, but it's confounds choristers today. But one thing that we do know about all the versions is that they often have questionable theology um, and an exaggeration and augmentation of biblical fact. Now, why is this the case? Because this is probably not a song that was written by church musicians or liturgical scholars, um, as with most church music from this era. 
It more likely comes from a folk tradition, which means it was memorised by musically illiterate minstrels and folk musicians, worked from memory and from skill, not from written music. And so the words may have been written down when people's memory isn't perfect, and so we've ended up with these various versions. And those versions come from different points in history. And as I said, musically illiterate people, so they couldn't actually read the music on the page. So the music alters as well as the lyrics. How do we know that it wasn't written by church musicians? Well, there's a renowned hymnologist. Yes, that is a job. I may get there one day. Um, Mr Routley, he calls it a ballad carol. Because rather than it being in a standard hymn metre, it has three long lines in a stanza and then the refrain. Now, that's a really common pattern in folk music from that time. When you see it in hymnals, it's written with the metre 868686. Everybody knows what a metre is in poetry, right? So it's how many syllables are in a line. So 8686 is a really common hymn pattern. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, right? So when it's written in hymn books, it's written 868686. It's done that so that it fits the music theory of hymns, not because that's what it actually is. So what they've done is separated 14. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. 14. So, in secular poetry, secular um, lyrics of this time, they're what's called a fourteener. Okay? And it's made up of three lines of 14 syllables. This is common in sonnets and folk ballads of the time. So, at best guess, we know it's not really a church song. It's been handed down by people who weren't able to go to church in the preferred pattern of their, you know, their denomination, their choice. The other thing is that none of these hymns end in a standard cadence. We've talked about cadences before. Does everybody remember what a cadence means? It's the end of the musical phrase. We know it ends in a perfect cadence, a playable cadence, imperfect cadence. None of these do that. So we know that it's not in that standard liturgical hymn style. I was going to go through the whole, like, playing it all, like we did the first week. I'm like, everybody's smart enough to remember what a cadence is because I've talked about it almost every week. (laughs) So the earliest printed edition of the um, melody is from 1820 by William Hone, but the third line is really super different to what we do now. So instead of, God rest you, Mary, gentlemen, like, it's really low, this third line goes up super high. So pretty much we don't sing it. The melody as we know it today was, as we know it today, was first published in 1833 in William Sandy's Christmas Carols, Ancient and Modern, and labels the music under the title as sung in the London streets. So this is another clue to the fact that it's more of a secular song than it was a church carol. 
An article, I love this bit, an article published in the Gentleman's Magazine from March 1824 complains that in London no Christmas carols are heard excepting some croaking ballad singer bawling out, God rest you merry gentlemen, or a like doggerel. The comma was after you, just saying. But regardless, it became popular and is referenced in several novels. From, from the early 1800s. Most famously, it makes an appearance in Charles Dickens' novel A Christmas Carol in 1843. Early on, when Scrooge is terrifying carol singers with his foul temper, at the first sound of God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. Now, on to this lyrics and the comma issue. God rest you merry means may God grant you or keep you in peace and happiness. It's a phrase that was used colloquially from around 1534. Why do we know this? Because Shakespeare used it in one of his plays. Merry didn't mean jolly, but it more likely meant mighty, sturdy and strong. God rest ye is something that we added later, the ye. It's a pseudo-archaism, so it's trying to make it sound older. It's, it, that was adopted in the late 1800s. Ye would have never been used back in those original times because it's, sorry, this sounds a little bit lectury, reminds me of my Greek lectures, because it's a subjective pronoun. I, we, he, she, they, who would have been used for ye. What we need is an objective pronoun, me, us, him, her, them, whom, and you. So we were singing, God rest you, merry gentlemen. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it. What we really needed was a thou, a thee, a thy, or a thine. Rest, God rest ye. We use rest now to indicate stopping an activity. In the 16th and 17th century, rest was used to keep in an activity, for cause to continue activity or to remain in an activity. Because of our modern use of the word rest, which developed sometime in the late 1700s, it's often been mispunctuated. God rest ye, comma, merry gentlemen. Instead of God rest ye merry gentlemen. So, God keeps you in a state of sturdiness. Ian Bradley, in his writer, in his book, The Penguin Book of Carols, which was only written 1999, so relatively close when we're talking about the 1800s, the comma is important in the opening line of this hymn. It is not, as so often thought, addressed to merry or happy gentlemen, aristocrats or watchmen, but rather to those that may be anxious. Instead, it's a message of God's reassuring love and that it is specifically directed at the shepherds who are frightened by the sudden appearance of an angel in their midst. Gav is going to come and talk to us a bit further about it.
I talk, Jeff? All right. Um, I love the message of this song. Uh, Sarah has spoken to us a bit about the commas and a bit about the yees and the yays. Um, God rest you. I love that. Tidings of comfort and joy. Uh, kind of the central message of this is because Jesus has come, um, we have peace. This is what it says in Romans. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were enemies, whilst we were far away, Jesus came. Emmanuel, God in the flesh, sought us out to bring us back, to defeat the power of Satan, which is sin, and restore us into peace with God. Through Jesus, we have peace. I really pray that you'll take that to heart this morning, especially at this time. It's easy to forget. Um, in the midst of life, in a world of pain and conflict and frustration and struggle, it's really easy to forget. In a world of distraction and constant media, quite frankly, I find it easy to forget the peace that we have in God. Um, many of you are on school holidays trying to juggle preparations for Christmas and kids. It's easy to forget the peace of God when we're constantly checking where the latest COVID hotspots have been. So in all of this, don't, don't forget that through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace. I'm just going to move this a bit. When, when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, his words were, peace be with you. Peace be with you this morning. Peace be with you because Jesus has come. He has been born. He has brought his peace into history. Um, I love the way John describes that. This is how he starts his gospel. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you that the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you may have, have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Tidings of comfort and joy. God has come in the flesh into history he's been seen and heard and touched he came into a manger in bethlehem a little over two thousand years ago the prince of peace the light of life the savior of all mankind has come to earth and come to you so the carol can i call it a carol or do i have to call it a do i have to call it a pub rock ballad <laughs> I prefer the second, to be honest. 
In Bethlehem in Israel, this blessed babe was born and laid within a manger upon this blessed morn, which the which his mother Mary did nothing take in scorn, tidings of comfort and joy. God rest you, Mary, peace be with you. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Because of Jesus, we have peace. Peace that is bigger than any of the troubles of this world. So peace be with you this morning. Particularly as we prepare for Christmas. God rest you merry. Um, I love that uh, turn of phrase, God rest you merry. Uh, In other words, because of Jesus, we have joy. The tidings of comfort and joy are connected up with the idea of God resting you merry. Um, I'm sure you've heard the fact that joy is different to happiness. Happiness is a feeling. It's based on circumstance, whereas joy is an attitude that's anchored in something that is bigger than our own circumstances. So happiness comes and go, but joy remains because it's based on something bigger than ourselves. As followers of Jesus, we have joy because Jesus has come. He has lived, he has died, he has risen again, and nothing can take our joy from that. Philippians tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your, evid- let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Joy is about your heart and your mind. It's not about your feeling, it's about your heart and your mind. We have joy because the Lord is near, that we don't need to be anxious Instead, we can be thankful and present our requests to God with confidence. Uh, That's a great encouragement. I, I would encourage you in this. If you are anxious, if there is something on your mind, present your requests to God and allow the joy and the peace of God to rule your heart. Um. Joy as Christians comes because of the fact that God is generous. He has graciously blessed us far beyond anything we could hope or imagine or deserve. Uh, There's a great line in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory at the end. uh, Willy Wonka says to Charlie, do you know what happened to the boy who got far more than he could ever hope or imagine? He was incredibly happy. (laughs) We have joy because God has blessed us with far more than we can hope or imagine. Uh, If you look at the shepherds, so I'm going to go back to the song again. The shepherds at those tidings rejoiced much in mind and left their flocks of feeding in tempest, storm and wind (laughs) (laughs) and went to Bethlehem straight away, this blessed babe to find tidings of comfort and joy. Uh, We don't know that there was a tempest of storm and wind going on (laughs) at the time. But when the angels appeared, 
the message to the shepherds was something that I hope you've heard over and over again. Don't be afraid. I bring you great joy, a good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, a saviour has been born in Bethlehem. When you discover the good news that a saviour has been born, that we are set free, that there is peace with God, that the King of kings and Lord of lords rules and he has invited us into his kingdom, you have joy. You overflow with generosity. You can't help it. The shepherds were overwhelmed by God's grace. They went into the streets singing. The funny thing about it was they were still shepherds. They went back to looking after flocks out in the outback. They went roaming the hills looking for sheep. Nothing about their circumstance had changed. They were still working in what was one of the most rubbish jobs at the time. And they were filled with joy as they did it because something beyond their circumstances had changed. Something in their hearts had changed. They had joy because they had seen the good news of God. Because of Jesus, we have joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. That's what the gospel does. Paul prays this uh, when he speaks about the gospel. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that would be my prayer for you this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So then the conclusion of the carol, the outworking of this message, tidings of comfort and joy, God rest ye, Mary, joy, peace. The conclusion is this, now to the Lord sing praises, all you within this place, and with true love and brotherhood, each other now embrace. This holy tide of Christmas, all others does deface. Tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. <laughs> what it's saying there, that, those last lines are a little tricky, but it's saying that the, the presence of Jesus, God's spirit that has come into the world through Jesus Christ, is like a tide that nothing else can stand against. It washes over everything. Whatever fear, whatever anxiety, whatever circumstances we have, there are tidings of comfort and joy because God has come and nothing can stand against him. There is a tide of peace, joy, love, and grace that is washed over this world when Jesus stepped into it. So Paul, in a similar vein, tells us, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now to the Lord sing praises, all you within this place, 
and with true love and brotherhood, each other now embrace. When you know the peace and joy and forgiveness that comes from God by grace, the overflow is unity and kindness and love. God's grace to us causes us to be gracious to others, to seek peace, to forgive, to love, to invite others to do the same, to be gracious. Even if the tide is against us, to say, it doesn't matter. We have joy and we have peace in Jesus Christ and we are going to live out of that. We are compelled to be people of peace and grace and kindness, to love our enemies the way that God has loved us. So, may God bless you with joy and peace this Christmas. May you choose the way of joy and peace. Joy is not a feeling, it's a heart attitude that chooses to focus on something bigger than yourself so that you will have joy and peace. May you live a life of peacemaking this Christmas. I've just got to share with you one more passage. I couldn't not share this uh, verse from Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the love and peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, We can't greet one another with a holy kiss this morning uh, due to COVID and also because it's slightly culturally inappropriate but kind of less so actually as I've grown up uh, in Australia the uh, air kiss on the cheek is has become a thing in my lifetime Uh, that's what I was talking about to recognize that we together share in the grace of God he's brought us together to love one another to stand in unity to be a people of peace so let's uh, not kiss one another this morning especially not this morning Colin and Kerry are on welcome and uh, overseeing our COVID safe thing, so no kissing. No, you're not allowed to do that, Kerry, not this morning. We, we want to be able to celebrate Christmas. So we can do everything else, though. We can rejoice. We can encourage one another. We can seek restoration. I love that line, strive for full restoration. What God has done in Jesus Christ strive to bring it about in your life and your relationships and in the world around you share fellowship welcome one another as brothers and sisters with kindness and with joy and be filled with the spirit of jesus may god rest you merry this morning amen thanks man good drumming